morning, everyone. It is good to be here. I was thinking that, you know, David says that it is it better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand elsewhere. And while we're not in the temple, you know, Peter says that, you know, each of us, like living stones, are built up into the temple of God. It's just good to be with God's people, isn't it? So I will, I want to start off, we'll read through the passage, and then I'll open in prayer, and then we'll get going. So let me read through our whole passage this morning, and just to start us off. So this is, if you would, go ahead and turn there, uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the, except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees open in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. And I would just ask your blessing here on this morning, that uh, I would say what you want to say, that your message here in this, this passage would come through, uh, and that would be ready, we would be ready to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our run-up to our passage, uh, this today, the previous kind of couple chapters have been, Jesus has been very busy. Uh, he's been performing a variety of miracles as well as engaging the corrupt religious leaders. Um, he has fed more than 5,000 people uh, from five loaves and two fish. He walked on water and enabled Peter to momentarily walk on water. Um, he healed the sick in Gennesaret just by them touching, just touching his clothes, healed them. Um, he condemned the Pharisees and scribes for their hypocritical uh, and empty worship. He healed a Gentile Canaanite woman. Uh, he walked along the Sea of Galilee, and right now he's on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says, the crowd saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. The Gentiles glorified the God of Israel. And then he turned around and he fed that crowd of, of about, it says, 4,000 men, uh, just from seven loaves and two fish. So that brings us to our first, uh, our first verse today in verse 1. Next slide. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and Sadducees came, <clears throat> and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So the last time the Pharisees uh, saw Jesus, he called them hypocrites and blind guides. And so since then, they have probably been hearing um, all the reports of the miracles and the things that he's been doing and the growing crowds that have been following him. 
And so now they show up after that last very rough encounter uh, with Jesus, and they're hoping to see a sign from him like he's been doing consistently for others up to this point. And they've brought this time their traditional adversaries, the Sadducees, with them. And this is a big deal because these two don't generally team up on things together. So the Pharisees, they, they lived primarily in Jerusalem, and they had, this, they had built this extensive tradition kind of outside the Mosaic law, tradition of basically rules that they believed would help ensure obedience to the Mosaic law, uh, as they interpreted it. Uh, the Sadducees were primarily wealthy uh, priestly families who lived in Jerusalem, and both groups were very concerned with how the temple was run, specifically the temple practice in Israel. Um, but the Sadducees rejected the extra-biblical or the, the, the outside traditions that the Pharisees had built up. Um, and these two groups were in continual competition for the rule of the Sanhedrin, that ruling council, the, the religious council that ran uh, a lot of things in Jerusalem and in Israel. <clears throat> and if you remember in Acts 23, so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is in front of the Sanhedrin, and he looks and he, rec you know, he's a former Pharisee, and he looks and he sees most of this group is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, and he knows something that they disagree about. He knows that the Pharisees believe in the resurrection and the Sadducees do not. So he says, I'm on trial today because I believe in the hope of the resurrection. And they start, this starts a whole argument among the Sanhedrin. And he gets, it says, Acts says that it got so bad that it turned violent. So, all that to say, it is a big deal that these two groups are here together today to look at Jesus and to try to deal with this problem. Um, having a common enemy, uh, it really helps bring unity among competing groups. Um, you know, you find it interesting that, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats uh, are suddenly able to pass bipartisan legislation when Russia invades Ukraine, you know, and bickering back and forth, and then suddenly an enemy comes along and invades your turf, and you pull together. And both the Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they view Jesus as a tremendous threat to their turf, to their authority, to their role in their society. Um, again, the converted, Paul is a converted Pharisee, and he talks in 1 Corinthians 1 about how the Jewish people, in, in, as compared to the Greeks, they really viewed acts like miracles as um, endorsements by God of a particular person as being you know, God's servant. Um, Paul says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So they're here to kind of check out these signs and they want to see, is this real? And they're here to deal with Jesus who is a big stumbling block for them. So picking up here, verse two, he answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So they ask for a sign from heaven. So Jesus responds with a reference to the sky. Um, and he says, you're able to see what weather is coming based off of the weather that is in front of you right now. Um, and he's making a comparison to the fact that they are, they are looking at God of Israel that's here in front of them, but they are missing it. And they, they're not just missing that, but that his kingdom is coming upon them right now. And they're unable to see that because they've judged incorrectly. And if somebody, if somebody reads this passage or hears this passage for the first time, they're probably going to think 
there must be some background here because it seems a little out of the blue. And they'd be right. There's, there's a whole lot of interactions that have happened between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees up to this point. And um, throughout Jesus' time on earth, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees are kind of the mouthpiece uh, for the, the group of Jews that just reject Jesus as king and as God. And so Jesus had a whole back and forth with them. Um, they're his, his most common adversary. And so the, the criticism here from Jesus is almost, it's almost in the form of a parable. It's not, uh, it doesn't have a ton of details in it. Um, and so for us to interpret what it means, we need to recognize that it, it builds on these previous encounters Jesus has had and is in a lot of ways um, a, a summary and culmination of those encounters with, with them. So to do that, I'm, I want to take a little, bit of, a little bit of time and kind of go back through the encounters as quickly and concisely as I can that Jesus has had with the Pharisees and Sadducees in the book of Matthew. So there's three primary ones. If you want to follow, if, I'm not going to read a ton of text because I'm trying to keep this as quick and concise as possible, but if you want, you can turn there. I'll put the, I'll put the sections up here, um, but I'm just going to try to summarize and keep us moving. But I want to grab the highlights here and try to pull out what is, what is going in here in terms of Jesus is looking at these guys and saying, you can't, you are not interpreting this correctly, so I'm, I'm not doing anything more for you. So let's jump in here if you want. So it's, the, the sections are in chapter 9, chapter 12, and chapter 15. And so chapter 9, starting in verse 10, the Pharisees criticized Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so he responds, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which is a quote from the Old Testament book of Hosea. And he says, I, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus is saying, God wants mercy from his children, much more than ritualistic worship. You know, this has been an issue he's brought up with the Pharisees before. Um, and he's saying to the Pharisees, if you had known God, you would know that he is merciful at heart. Um, had the Pharisees known this, they would have been mercifully involved in helping these people that they were looking down on, um, but they, they were not. He also has another point here that's implied. Um, it's that they just don't know God, and so they're in the greatest need of that position themselves um, because they, they, they value rule following rather than the rule maker. They are blind when he shows up in person. So the second encounter is in chapter 12. <clears throat> and this is a longer one. This is the longest one of, of, the, of the three. The Pharisees criticized Jesus for allowing his disciples to gather food on the Sabbath, which according to the letter of the law was, was not okay. They weren't, no work was supposed to be done on the Sabbath. Um, and so he brings up a couple of examples where, that, that show that following the, the Sabbath law precisely was not more important to God than having mercy on people, on the, on the humans involved. So the, he says here, as, as kind of the second example, he says to the Pharisees, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Because if they're going to work in the temple on the Sabbath, they are violating the Sabbath. But God told them to do that, and they are held guiltless. So he uses a, an example, and he continues. He says, I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. And had you known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
So Jesus identifies that not only have they missed the point of the Sabbath, which was for the sake of humans needing to rest, but that they have missed the one who has authority over the Sabbath. The God of the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, is a God of mercy. Um, us human beings are by nature, we're sinners, we're condemned, we're broken, and we have, we're, we're justly condemned for our sin. <clears throat> um, and, and because God is by nature rich in mercy, you know, straight from Ephesians, and because of the great love with which he loved us, he sent his son to take that condemnation. And it's the same God, Old Testament to New Testament. And because the Pharisees have missed the merciful heart of God, they're blind to when he shows up in front of them as a human being. Continuing on later in chapter 12, <clears throat> it's another section, and they, they, he's been driving demons out um, of, of people, of demon-possessed folks. And they say he's driving out demons by the power of Satan. He's saying he's driving Satan out by the power of Satan. And so Jesus has, a, has kind of a lengthy response here. He says, first, it's ridiculous to think that Satan would drive out Satan. Like, that, you're not going to build a success. That's not a great organizational philosophy if you're trying to build any kind of uh, successful movement. Civil war isn't a great uh, vision for uh, team building um, and, and getting anything done. <clears throat> but second, he says, the only way to drive Satan out is if something stronger than Satan is here. And he says, that's the spirit of God. The spirit of God is here driving out Satan. And as a corollary to that, he says, if you call the Spirit of God Satan, there's no coming back from that. That is the one sin that is unforgivable. Functionally, there is no way for God to get through to you if you label the Spirit of God, the only way to get truth into your heart, as evil. Satan's called this the father of lies. If you're going to call the truth a lie, there's no coming back from that. There's just functionally, there's no, there's no way to get it get through to you anymore. And he says, that is what the Pharisees have done because they have misidentified so badly what's in front of them. He then, actually, kind of as a wrap-up to that, that part, he dials down on their words and actions. They, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees are so fixated on the right words and right actions, and, and they believe that defilement starts and ends with your words and actions, and they believe so strongly that if they do this correctly, they will be right before God. And he says, you've missed it completely. Words and actions come from the heart, and the heart is where defilement happens. And they've missed the fact, uh, this fact as well. So they respond to this, and they ask him for a sign. It's a very similar, we're still in chapter 12. Um, it's a very similar passage to our passage today. Um, they ask him for a sign, and he, like in our passage today, calls them evil and adulterous and tells them they're only getting one sign. That's the sign of Jonah. But he's got a couple more examples and, uh, that he uses here in this section. Uh, he brings up a couple of examples of non-Jews from Israel's past who, when they heard about God, they repented. And he says, these Jews are going to, or these non-Jews are going to stand up on the day of judgment and condemn you Pharisees. He's, his two examples are the queen of the south who came to uh, hear Solomon and see Solomon, and, they, and she heard about God from Solomon. And Jesus says, on judgment day, she's going to stand up and condemn you because something greater than Solomon is here. And his other example is, is the people of the city of Nineveh, who also were not Jews. In fact, they were very anti, that the Jews hated them. They had been brutal to the Jews. But when they heard the word of Jonah, who came and preached, very reluctantly came and preached to them, they repented. And he says, they will condemn the Pharisees as well on Judgment Day because they have not believed when something greater than Jonah is here. 
He also says that the only sign the Pharisees are going to receive is the sign of Jonah, and he explains in this section that he's talking about that that's, that's his death, burial, and resurrection that will be coming. So the last encounter here, this is encounter three in chapter 15. <clears throat> the Pharisees and scribes come and ask Jesus why his disciples break this specific tradition of, of the elders, is what it's called. It's, this, it's not even about the Mosaic Law anymore. It's about this... Um, structure that the Pharisees have built up around the law to help ensure obedience to it um, because they believe so strongly that this can make them clean. This can deal with their defilement before God. And, and Jesus sort of, he dials down and he says, you guys are so focused on the rule following that you have missed the rule maker when he's here. Um, they, defilement starts in the heart. It, it's not about words and actions need to follow they are not what defiles you. It's your evil hearts that, that is where defilement is found. So to circle back to our passage, Jesus is saying that the, these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, have shown themselves to be unable to interpret what is happening in their, in their world now and thus what is about to happen. The God they supposedly worship has come to heal his people. He's always been beyond their ability to be reconciled to on their own, according to their own words and actions. He has always been about mercy more than rule following. And he has now sent someone greater than any messenger he sent before in order to fix the defilement of the human race. He has come himself because he is rich in mercy. And so they, when they ask him for a sign, he gives them the same response as last time. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. <clears throat> so he left them and departed. So the generation that Jesus uses the term he uses here, he's talking about the, the Jews that don't accept him as represented by the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he's been doing many signs, but here he draws the line. He says they're not getting anything besides the sign of Jonah because they have cheated on the God of Israel with something else. And so as we, as we just discussed in chapter 12, he went into a little more detail about what this sign of Jonah is. He says in, in verse 40 of that chapter, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <clears throat> it's a reference to the future, his future death, burial, and, and resurrection. Often it's easy to, to think to ourselves, at least for me, that if we had Jesus here in the flesh, in front of us, doing miracles, we would have no issues with obedience, right? We see a miracle, we see a sign, it's going to be easy. I have no, I'm going to have no issues believing what he says. Um, and as, as we talked about earlier, in the Bible, uh, God uses signs to validate his servants and say, this is, listen to this one. You can think of Moses before Pharaoh. You know, he has his staff, and he throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And then he picks it back up, and it turns back into a staff again. And the point of this is to try to get through to Pharaoh. Listen to me. I want you to let my people go. Um, and of course, Pharaoh doesn't listen and so the 12 plagues come and even these are while they're judgment they're also signs to try to get through to pharaoh and pharaoh still doesn't listen and you see here god is at some point going to draw the line he's not going to keep pouring himself you know out in these signs into the the, the unbelieving heart of someone the, the heart of unbelief is just can just be this bottomless pit that will never be filled up again and at some point he draws the line and he says i can't do anymore I can't do anymore. And so, I mean, Pharaoh gets sort of forced to deal with this. Um, and Pharaoh isn't even one of God's people. God has, God has enough trouble with his own people getting them to listen. You know, you think that they, they, they then go through the Red Sea, right, to escape. 
And just what, days later, they're grumbling again. So I, I, the Bible's very clear. I think it looks very, has a clear-eyed view of human belief as in relation to science. Science don't necessarily equate to, to belief immediately. And, and frankly, Jesus has plenty of these times where he heals someone, and they don't, you know, they don't come and become a follower of his afterwards. They, you know, he tells them, don't tell anyone, and then they go broadcast it to everyone. Um, I think it, it's a word for us a little bit here of what are we waiting on? You know, is there something that you you feel even in a, in a subconscious way that you are waiting on God to do something, to show up. I, often I feel this way sometimes. I realize I'm sitting back and I'm waiting for the stars to align before I can do something that he has asked me to do. He's done enough. He's done enough. I mean, it, it's all here in scripture. He saved us. It's all in history. I mean, you don't even have to, it, it's a part of history. It's happened. The, the signs that are needed are done. Um, Let's be willing to walk in obedience if there's something that we're waiting on. Uh, the reference to Jonah here may also be another rebuke of the Pharisees. Um, if you know the story of Jonah, you know how reluctant he was to go preach to these Ninevites and to, to, to get the message to them. Um, and specifically, he says he became angry with God after God didn't destroy the Ninevites because he knew that God was and is by nature rich in mercy. And it's, it's got this great line here <clears throat> he says he's saying this to God he's complaining he says that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish I knew you were a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster therefore now O Lord please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live and I, I think this I was just reading it you know as sort of getting background, but I, I just read that and was like, this jumps off the page. I mean, in, across the centuries, this jumps off the page. This is the attitude that I think characterizes the Pharisees and Sadducees in terms of the, you know, when Jesus labels them adulterous and evil, I, I think this gives, this sort of fleshes out what that attitude was. You know, the, the belief that that external rule following should be, you know, that the Jews were so you know, tied up in from the, from the, law, the Mosaic law the belief that that should earn them something before God, the exclusive access to the grace of God, that nobody else should have it. And then this just is, you know, as verbalized by Jonah, this bitter suicidal resentment when mercy is extended to someone that you don't think is worth it. And it's just ugly. It's so ugly, but you see it just jumping off the page here. And the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, had, they were really, in terms of this adultery, it was almost an adultery with themselves. They were enraptured with themselves and their own personal righteousness. They had, it just, they had shifted their attention now to themselves off of the Lord, which is what the point of the Mosaic Law was for, is to know God. And Jesus says, you deviated from God when you deviated from mercy. I am full of compassion for these people, these sinners as you call them, as if that didn't also describe you. I feed them when they're hungry. I heal them when they're crippled. I restore sight when they're blind, and I will die for them when they are dead in their sins. And meanwhile, all you do is tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on their shoulders. But, but you yourselves are not willing to move them with your finger. It's just, you know, not their wolf. They're not shepherds. He says, you don't speak for me and my father. You don't control access to me or my father. <clears throat> and I am certainly not going to pretend as if I owe you a sign for you to evaluate. 
you've cheated on the living God with yourself, and your adultery has made you blind to him standing in front of you. You know, God forbid that those things would ever be said of us. It's a, you know, it's a scary thing to just watch how their heart had deviated. So Jesus and his disciples leave the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they get into their boat, and they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and this departure kind of as a note of finality um, to this interaction with the Pharisees. Jesus is going to have future interactions with them, but this particular occasion seems to kind of be the ending of a chapter with them. And it, it, it just brings it up again. At some point, if we persist in refusing to believe and obey God, we will get our way. God will step away. Um, C.S. Lewis has this quote, there's only two kinds of people in the end those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. There is an ending. There will be an ending at some point. So, the next section here, uh, verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. So they get to this other side. They must have just been kind of realized they didn't have any bread, and we're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? We don't have any food. And so Jesus jumps in and says something about the leaven of the Pharisees. And, you know, leaven or yeast, depending on your translation, is a, it's a vital ingredient for making bread before uh, you put it in the oven. It works its way through the, through the whole dough before it, it uh, is ready to be, to be baked. And if you're like me, at first blush, you're confused in the same way the disciples were. Um, you know, Jesus said leaven, and currently we don't have any bread. So I, I'm thinking the two must be connected somehow. Um, I, I guess maybe we need to be sure that we don't end up buying leaven from the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus jumps back into the discussion, and he says, Jesus, aware, uh, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you, that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? And so what happens here is that Jesus uses this, this situation to bring up and address a problem that he had observed in the disciples' hearts. I'm sure he'd already seen it, but it also seems like it brings to light because of the way that the disciples were reacting to the situation where they didn't have any bread. And he uses a little bit of wordplay to, to bring it out. Um, they've forgotten to bring bread, and they're in need of it. Just the other chapter, just the chapter before in chapter 15, Jesus has helped a group of people, a very large group of people, who had the exact same problem. These 4,000 men at the end of chapter 15 have been following Jesus for three days, um, and they didn't have any food. And it says Jesus had compassion on them and did a miracle and fed all of them. And so this is kind of, this is what he references here. So what the disciples should have been doing is asking Jesus to help them with the problem of not having any bread. And I think Jesus, Jesus was frustrated and I think even angry with them for their lack of faith in him. I, he, you know, seriously, you guys think that I'm mad at you for not bringing bread? Why would I be mad at you if I can just do this easily myself? You just saw me do this. You know, not only had the disciples been witnesses to these miracles, the 4,000 and the 5,000, they had been participants. They had 
they had handed this food out through these thousands of people. You talk about like visual learners versus tactile learners. He covered all the, all the categories there. They were tactilely involved in getting the bread to the people. And suddenly this somehow didn't make its way through into their understanding and beliefs about Jesus. Jesus is saying actually a very similar thing that he is saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees in the previous section. Something greater than a mere human being is here. Something greater than one of God's human messengers even is here. The living God has walked and talked in front of you. And so Jesus continues here. Here we go. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So by leaven, he means specifically the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees and its ability to work its way into the hearts and minds of people, um, including Jesus' own followers. Um, in Luke uh, 12, 1 through 2, Jesus, kind of a similar passage here, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I think every single one of us can become, can easily become two-faced when we lose the awe and repentance that we first had when we received God's mercy in Jesus. It's easy, unfortunately. And we can live a life that outwardly looks good, but inwardly we have we've forgotten that we're broken sinners, every single one of us. Um, and, and it changes completely your disposition towards the Lord. Um, and, it's, and Jesus is saying that this unbelief that is in the Pharisees and Sadducees can easily work its way and sneak its way into the hearts of his own followers, like leaven through bread. In Revelation 3, Jesus addresses a church that has lost that awe and repentance that comes with receiving mercy from God. It's, he says to the church at Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The emperor has no clothes on. Um, you and I are evil at heart, and we, we, we are no better than anyone else that has lived. And, and those that have received mercy from a holy God love mercy. Those who do not think they have a problem have not received mercy. The living God who is by nature rich in mercy has come to rescue us from our sins. And the, the warmth of this should spread through our whole life. He continues here to, this, to the Laodiceans. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline so be zealous and heart is cold towards Jesus, we need to hear his loving rebuke. Go back to how you saw him when you first met him. You know, use those memories of how you saw him to start to fight back against the cold, emotionless, dead Christianity that can sneak its way into your life. And I, I would encourage you to take the temperature of your soul this morning and your heart towards, towards Jesus. Uh, 
William McDonald's commentary on that le the letter to the Laodiceans, he, he's, he's got this section in here that goes, we become more emotionally stirred over sports, politics, or television than we do Christ. There's little sense of spiritual need, little longing for true revival. We give the best of our lives to the business world and then turn over the remnants of a wasted career to the Savior. We cater to our bodies, which in a few short years will return to dust. We accumulate instead of forsake, lay up treasures on earth instead of heaven. Is this you? Is there something in your heart that stirs you more than Jesus? No matter how good it is, if it's not Jesus, it's an idol. You know, what do you find yourself daydreaming about? This is where this is kind of what caught me as I was prepping. What do you, what do I, where does my mind go when I have free time? Um, you know, you can find what your passion is in some ways there. You know, if, what have I spent money on? What have, you know, a budget is sometimes, or an expenditure report is a, kind of a, sometimes a snapshot of our, of our priorities. We don't want to get caught up in a new form of rule following, so let's not do that. But sometimes looking at ourselves in this way can kind of help get a snapshot about where our, our priorities are. Um, maybe are you the kind of person that values being stoic, you know, unemotional? I will endure pain or hardship without showing any outward emotions. Stoicism is not a biblical virtue at all. Um, you know, it started with the Greek philosophers called the Stoics and it sort of worked its way into Western culture and specifically the American church. King David, uh, the Apostle Paul, Jesus himself would find little in common uh, with this attitude. Um, so what do we do? Are we, are you, maybe, I don't know if you find yourself kind of asking the same question that that, that father of the demon-possessed boy did in Mark 9. You know, I believe, help me with my unbelief. You know, this, this honest answer to Jesus um, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, says this, In the deep of his mighty nature, God thinks, wills, enjoys, feels, loves, desires, and suffers as any other person may. In making himself known to us, he stays by the familiar pattern of personality. He communicates with us through the avenues of our minds, our wills, and our emotions the continuous and unembarrassed exchange of love and thought between God and the spirit of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of New Testament religion. Uh, the Apostle Paul may have been, he might have actually been a, theoretically among this group of Pharisees that Jesus you know, was, was speaking with in the passage today. And he, went, he, would, he remained hardened towards Jesus throughout Jesus' entire ministry. He would go on to imprison, we know, the church. And, and, and all, he did all of this up until Jesus confronted him and he converted and became a follower of Jesus. And he said he had this complete transformation of his passion. And he, in his letter to the Philippians, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If this is you now, praise God. Praise God. Look for someone around you who is cold towards God and pray about how you can help them. Um, remember the four friends, the paralytic in Matthew 9, who literally dug the roof off of a house to get their friend to Jesus? Remember that it says, when he saw their faith, he responded. Who, who does God want you to dig the roof off you know, of a house in order to get them to Jesus? 
pray about that. If this was you, but it's not anymore, return to the last thing that you did before your heart went dead. What happened? What changed? Is there sin in your life that maybe you've allowed to swallow your heart? Go deal with it. Have you not forgiven someone? That'll do it too. Do what you need to do in order to return to the last place you were before your love for Jesus went dead. If this was never you, it's time to beg God to reveal himself to you. The letter to the Laodiceans ends with this verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You may have heard that verse given to people who are outside of the church. You got to remember, this was given to the, the church of the Laodiceans, people that had been in church for a while, had, were familiar with the scriptures, and, and had known it for a long time. Jesus wants to come in and know you, and you know him. Notice the big difference the way that these two sections in our passage uh, end today. Jesus leaves the Pharisees in their unbelief, but the disciples understand, and they continue on in following Jesus. As you're sitting here, don't miss that. Don't follow the rules for the rules' sake or for your sake. Follow Jesus. He is rich in mercy. Start following after Jesus, and those other things will become clear. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for not leaving us without a hope. Lord, we confess it's so easy to become enraptured with ourselves and to use even the things of, of God to build up an idolatry of ourselves. Father, you are the only, the only person that is worthy of worship. You are full of mercy. You're a holy God. We love you, Lord. Incline our hearts to you. Help us to put you first and to put you on the throne. In Jesus' name, amen.